0: Welcome in to the 48 minutes podcast on believe where you stay up to date in 48 on all things NBA. I'm Ross Geiger the host of the show and this is episode number 15. I'm thrilled to be joined by Celtics extraordinaire Bruce Bernstein of Pure Hoops Media and the future general manager of the Lakeland Magic will B. Michael Freer. <laughs> Gentlemen how
1: we doing tonight? Doing great. I'm, I'm rocking my brand new swag that I just got today. Ooh, that's Ooh, fresh.
2: Very
1: nice. Very I've, nice. Very it, nice. It, it's it's very nice. And the, the fabric is just so soft. I can't believe everybody who watches this show and listens to this show will not want to get one of these.
0: Absolutely. That's looking
1: really good. Hopefully, you guys will check that out on either Bruce or my
0: YouTube page, as we will definitely post some photos of Bruce and his swag um, our shirts are now live on the Believe store. We'll go ahead and post a link to that as well um, tomorrow so that you guys can see that when we drop our podcast. Um, so go ahead and take a look. We got a few different options on there for you, and we'll hope that you'll continue to so- support the show and spread the good word by rocking some, some swag from the 48 Minutes podcast. So with that, Bruce, let's go ahead and start
1: with you. What do you got for your opening tip tonight? You know, I try not to use bad language on this show, but right now, the Nets are the Celtics' bitches, okay? <laughs> After Wednesday's 43-point beatdown, that's 10 straight wins for the Seas over Brooklyn. The last time the Nets beat the Celtics was in November of 2021. In the last 10 games, the Celtics' average margin of victory has been a shade under 15 points, okay? And although they had a four-game sweep in the playoffs, and those games were all pretty close, in the six regular season games since this streak began, Boston's winning by 21 and a half points a game. Now, some are going to say that Brooklyn didn't have Kevin Durant and Ben Simmons on Wednesday, but they could have had Kevin Durant, Kevin Garnett, Ben Simmons, Ben Wallace, and Ben Franklin and they still wouldn't have won that game.
0: (laughs) Well played there, Bruce. Definitely love the energy there as the Celtics once again took down uh, the Brooklyn Nets and the return of Kyrie Irving to Boston. World B, what do you have for all our listeners tonight for tip?
2: Well, I was going to counter Bruce's ignorance in disputing Ben Franklin's ability as a basketball (laughs) player there, but uh, my opening thought is with the NBA trade deadline coming up, Uh, This month, we're going to hear a lot of talk. I don't think anything major in terms of big names is actually going to happen, but you're going to see teams uh, make moves and you're going to see fans overreact. And the one thing I was going to mention, everybody, is don't go too over the top in your overreaction to trades, because if you just go back to last year when the Kings made a trade and got Sabonis and they sent away a young uh, now all-star guard in Halliburton, everybody criticized Sacramento. And it seemed to be working out just fine for them now in terms of uh, record and production they're getting from their all-star now in Sabonis. And, you know, during the off-season, we heard, we saw the Jazz just trade away Gobert, trade away uh, uh, Donovan Mitchell, and get what you thought was nothing in return as they were trying to tank. But they're turning out to have a really good season, and they have an all-star now in marketing who's actually matching up with uh, matching up with the best of them right now. He's an all-star. And one of the draft picks they got, Walker Kessler, from the deal, actually has more blocks than Rudy this year. Yeah. Figure that out. And then, you know, if you just go back to this season, not too long ago, Washington recently, last month, traded Hachimura to uh, uh, the Lakers. Yep. And everybody criticized the Wizards. What are they doing? What are they getting rid of this young guy for? And they haven't lost since. So teams sometimes teams know what they're doing. It doesn't show up right away. But they're, don't overreact when you see somebody you think making a trade and they're giving up on the season. They're not always giving up. There's a plan.
0: Absolutely. I think a lot of times we just lose sight of that and see it uh, for what it is when it gets tweeted out by Shams or Woj. And um, definitely a good point there to, you know, just – Give it some time for some of these trades to to kind of play themselves out and and keep an eye on how teams do once those acquisitions are made. Um, My opening tip here tonight is going to be on Thursday night tonight, the 9 p.m. local start in Milwaukee. I just can't wrap my mind around this one. Having once worked for the Bucs, lived in Milwaukee for six years and uh, just can't imagine a game starting at 9 p.m., uh, it's going to be on TNT. It's the second game on TNT. The first one is the Grizzlies visiting the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, currently midway through the third quarter, and the Cavs still have a four-point lead. But just blown away by this. And and, and really, with my opening tip, I kind of just want to uh, ask you guys, do you think this might be an advantage for the Clippers who are used to more West Coast time? Or do you think you know both teams have had enough opportunity to kind of gear up for this later start. And I mean, thinking from a coaching perspective, what they have morning quote unquote, shoot around at like one o'clock today. What do you guys think? Do you think this is a, an advantage for the Clippers tonight?
1: World? Why don't you start?
2: Well, I, I don't know how much I, my thought is no, it's not going to be that much of an advantage. It, put it this way. It will help. It won't hurt the Clippers. Yeah. Having a later start. I don't think it's going to hurt the Bucks. These guys are pros. It's an unusual thing. You just have to adjust your schedule, adjust how you get your rest, and do your your plan. You know whatever your daily plan is on game day, you just adjust it by an hour. It's going to be unusual, but I don't think it has. To me, it doesn't have any bearing on the outcome. Now, if it goes to a little bit later, well, then maybe there's you know if they actually had a ten o'clock local time instead of ten in the east like it is, you know then then they have something to complain about. I don't think this has any bearing.
1: I, I was thinking that it might have a slight advantage for the Clippers as far as whole body clock thing. But if you think about it, it's more than counterbalanced by the fact that the game's on Milwaukee's home court. So sure. if anything, the the fans might get a little bit more tired. I think the players will be okay. Yeah.
0: So we'll have to keep an eye on that one later on tonight here on Thursday. Um, I discussed the Elam ending. i my uh, takeaway from this game is why not whoever's leading when the, clikes, uh, the clock strikes uh, midnight, they're the winners. Let's just call the game when it hits midnight, and game will be done. But as long as Milwaukee's ahead, of course, yeah, of course, yeah. Make sure that make sure Giannis gets some foul calls there before uh, the midnight hour. <laughs> but that, but that leads us right into our first quarter, and uh, it's been the night we've been waiting for. The All Star game reserves for each respective conference have been announced. So let's go ahead and start with the East and the East Reserves that were named here today. Joel Embiid, Jalen Brown, Julius Randall, Tyrese Halliburton, Bam Adubayo, DeMar DeRozan, and Drew Holiday.
1: Bruce, we'll start with you. What did you think of that uh, reserves list? Well... I think you could make the argument that perhaps Jalen Brunson was more deserving than Julius Randle on the Knicks. But then you look at Julius Randle's numbers, his rebound numbers and his assist numbers are really solid. I mean, Brunson's averaging six assists. Randle's averaging four, you know, a little bit of a difference, but Randle's in double figures on rebounds. So I'm going to kind of, you know, I'll accept that one. I could see possibly James Harden over Drew Holiday, um, but Drew has just, that's such a nitpick for me because Drew has been such a indispensable, you know, player for the Bucks. And I think Zach Levine was probably a close runner up to his teammate, DeMar DeRozan, but I think DeRozan deserves the spot. So uh, I know world's got a few strong opinions about it, but I think for the most part, you know, they were okay. I'm very happy with Halliburton and uh, you know, good for him. You know, he's, he's back playing tonight, Thursday night and after missing 10 games, he's he's showing his value uh, to the Pacers.
2: Absolutely. World B, let's hear it. Well, I mean, for me, it's very simple. I don't know how you do not include James Harden as an all-star in, instead of either Holliday or Halliburton. To me, it's very simple. This, this is one of the key players on one of the best teams, not only in the East, but now in the NBA. He's averaging 11 assists a game, he's getting 20 points a game he's the number two option on their team and he's still putting up numbers and the Sixers go as he goes I know MD's the MVP guy I know he gets a lot of numbers and he's putting up really good performances the one he had uh last Saturday against the Nuggets was really impressive but as Harden goes so goes this team their numbers offensively are remarkably better when he is on the court than when he is off it's as simple as that a Got the impact on the Sixers that you want, and he has the numbers. I'm not a James Harden guy, as a rule. I don't. I'm not his uh, member of his fan club by any stretch. But if you're gonna put Drew Holiday in there or Ty, Tyrese Halliburton in there, who are solid players, it's not like they they're scrubs or anything. But James Harden needs to be in before either one of those, in my opinion. And the other other one I had that was a possible candidate to make it instead of say a Julius Randle might have been. Um, Siakam yes, over yep. the Raptors, only because he's really playing out of position this year, playing the center spot, and he's still putting up some really good numbers. His shooting is not very good. He's shooting well from the field, but from three-point range, he's really struggling. But he's still putting up really good numbers, playing out of position at the five. But I think that Julius Randle ahead of him, I can see that was the only other possibility. Maybe Jimmy Butler, but then, you know, that's, Bam's spot, too, and Bam's really had a good season, too. So my biggest uh, argument is James Harden should be in there instead of either Holiday or Halliburton.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned the the two that I had uh, as my East snubs, obviously James Harden being number one with just where the Sixers are right now in the records. Um, obviously, I think the two things going against James Harden is, one, I wouldn't be surprised if his reputation Certainly is hurting in a little bit just with all the different trade requests and partying off the court, things of that nature. And then two, I mean, I'm a firm believer the NBA is all about diversity, trying to get uh, different markets, some representation in the league. And, and Tyrese Halliburton being an a Pacer, being a team we've talked about, obviously uh, surprising uh, some of the other teams in the East and, and winning some big games. You know, that's all I can really think about with that. And then with Pascal Siakam, I'm in total agreement. You know, he's playing out of position. They've got a very weird lineup. I mean, they only play about, as I mentioned, like eight guys, tops typically on Nick Nurse's rotation. And that's a team that's definitely need, needs to have a shakeup. I mean, I, I watched them on this West Coast road trip, and, and as well as Siakam's playing, for whatever reason, that talented bunch of players just can't, put it all together. And of course, a longer West coast road trips, a lot to, to handle, but um, you know, I'd, I'd got to say that the Raptors record is probably affecting Siakam's chances as well.
1: Yeah. I thought about Siakam also. Yeah. I, I don't but disagree I think, with that. Yeah. But, but I think for the most part, I mean, I think the coaches pretty much got it right. I mean, look, we can quibble a little bit here and there, but I didn't see anything. You know, if, if you say, you know, Harden belongs in there. I mean, that's legit, but it's not like, gee, they took somebody who totally doesn't belong. I mean, I think Halliburton, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about him later in our little point guard discussion, but uh, I'm I'm happy to see a guy like that get in. Totally
0: agree with you there, Bruce.
1: And let's move on to
0: our West reserves now. In the West, we had Damian Lillard, Ja Morant, SGA, Larry Markadon, Domantas Sabonis, Paul George and Jaron Jackson. I think we have a little bit more of a conversation here with those last two names. World B, we'll go ahead and get started with you. What would you think about uh, the West Reserves?
2: Uh, I mean, I don't – a lot of guys that I was hoping would make it, made it. SGA making it was – obviously that was um, really a no-brainer. A lot of people think he should be starting, but, you know, that yeah. goes into a whole voting thing and the, the breakdown there. So That's fine. And, and I talked about him and I how he's really rested his career in Utah. So that was good to see him there. But, you know, I mentioned him uh, for a couple weeks now. Anthony Edwards should be an all-star. I said it before. And he's probably the leading snub, at least in the Western Conference. I don't understand how somebody like that is putting up the numbers that he puts up 25 a night. All-around game, he's improved. We mentioned before, he's improved his field goal shooting, his three-point shooting, his scoring rebound assists. Every season he's been in the league, he's living up to number one pick label like he was. And I really, I like Jaron Jackson Jr. I think he's an outstanding player. He's had a really good impact on the Grizzlies, uh, this recent slip notwithstanding. Paul George is a terrific all-around player, but I cannot see how Anthony Edwards is left off and left on not to mention De'Aaron Fox, who is one of the another guy who's really stepped up his game this year. The guy is shooting 50% from the field. He's about 6'2", 6'3". And he gets in the paint as well as anybody in the league. And Anthony Davis is the other one. I understand he hasn't played a lot of games. If that's the case, then the NBA has to put in some sort of rule that says, you know what, in order to be considered an all-star, you have to have played in at least half of your team's game or 40% of your team games, whatever the number is. Because I know he's only played – he hasn't even played 30 games this year. That's fair. But somebody wants to tell me, with 28, 29 games, it'll be 29 tonight, I believe, Thursday, somebody's really going to tell me he's not one of the 24 best players in the league this year. We had him as MVP the first six weeks of the season. He was battling – and he got hurt. And that's fair. He got hurt. That's fine. But Anthony Edwards and Anthony Davis not being on the all-star team – instead of Paul George and Jaron Jackson Jr.
1: Doesn't make sense to me. Just doesn't make sense. Bruce, what was your reaction? Well, uh, some of the points that I'm going to make kind of mirror what uh, World B just said. But, you know, we can talk about snubs all we want. But to me, my biggest problem is with Zion Williamson starting, okay? I mean, when he's played, he's put up big numbers, Um But he's only he's missed 44 percent of the team's games this year. okay? Uh, and if that's a disqualifier for someone like, you know, uh, Anthony Davis, um, you know, I guess the fans play by different rules. And I understand all that. But, you know, the players also voted in that and the media also voted in that. So they all should have had a little bit more sense than And again, not to disparage fans because we're all fans and we all voted but to me Demonte Sabonis or Laurie Markkanen are both more deserving to start in the All-Star game than than uh than Zion Williamson. Now, as for the the snubs, I t- I'm I'm in agreement with World B. I mean, to me, I would have probably taken Anthony Edwards and De'Aaron Fox over Jaron Jackson Jr. and Paul George. Both Triple J and PG13 have missed a bunch of games this year. But then I was thinking about it and I thought, well, if we did that, that West squad would have been so guard heavy that I'm thinking the coaches probably took that into consideration when they decided to go with triple J and PG 13. Cause if you would have replaced those two with Edwards and Fox, you would have had SGA, Damian Lillard, John Morant, uh, PG 13, who is, you know, kind of a guard forward hybrid. And, um, and uh, Anthony Edwards. So you would have had a very small team. And I think maybe that might have been having something to do with that. As for Anthony Davis, um, numbers are there, but number of games aren't. So it didn't work for him, but I guess it worked for Zion Williamson. Yeah. And what's interesting
0: is you both mentioned stars that miss games. And, you know, one of the biggest problems this season that we're facing is that. We're having struggles getting these guys on the floor for marquee matchups. Fans are missing out on seeing guys play, and uh, I don't think this helps the problem. That's been my biggest uh, issue with this this voting this year and who's getting in as the reserves, especially in the West with Paul George and Jaron Jackson, is the fact that we're almost still rewarding guys for missing games. I mean, you look at De'Aaron Fox and Anthony Edwards – Uh, World you had mentioned it. Obviously, Edwards has participated in a ton of games. Fox has participated in a ton of games. Ironically, he's out for their next game due to personal reasons, which is going to be a big hit to that Sacramento team, which I think we're going to see the effect. And um, for me, quite personally, probably no shock to you guys, but I'm just frustrated De'Aaron Fox didn't make it. I mean, he's become fourth quarter Fox in Sacramento this year, and uh, he's been their go-to guy down the stretch to come up with big shots, big plays for that team. They have a better record right now by four. uh, They have four less losses than the uh, L.A. Clippers. So I'm focusing in on trying to replace Fox uh, for Paul George in in that. And, uh, you know, even Jaron Jackson, you know, he missed uh, a bulk of the season. Anthony Edwards. I feel like he's being punished based on, you know, front office moves. I mean, obviously, clearly the Rudy Rudy Gobert trade's not uh, helping that team. Clearly, Carl Anthony Towns being out. Hurts Anthony Edwards puts a little bit more pressure on him offensively, and as you mentioned, Will be you look at his numbers, and he's been delivering despite all this, and, and the fact that he's you know being snubbed as an All Star. I, I look at Anthony Edwards in the same light I do Tyrese Halliburton making it for Indiana. Why couldn't we get a guy in there from Minnesota, especially a young rising star? I think that would have been great for for the NBA, and uh, you know, truly a shame that in the West we had Fox and Edwards both not make it two well-deserving players. You guys have no, anything I, else to
2: add? Yeah, I I agree with what Bruce is saying in terms of being too guard heavy, and maybe that played a factor in everything. And that, there is something to be said for that uh, in terms of the roster. I think the roster look, once the game starts, I don't think anybody cares if they throw out five guards <laughs> or not, because I don't remember ever <laughs> seen an all team where the post-game analysis was well, the the West really dominated the boards. That's why they won. <laughs> yeah. The East really controlled the paint. That's why they won. But no, it's just an all star game. Blah blah blah. The roster look would have the optics pre game might have looked weird, and that's fair. But once a game starts, who, who gives a crap? It's you know you just throw it out there. There's three pointers galore anyway, uh, and everybody puts on a show and stuff. So I understand Bruce is right about the optics. Maybe they didn't want to see it too much, and We've talked about Jaron Jackson Jr. has had a, it's had a real big impact on the team. You know, he's the front runner for defensive player of the year, and it's not a, necessarily a slate on these guys, uh, but they just, I think, players more deserving than you know than those two. And George, I'm in. Mean.
0: Totally agree, and that will segue us into our second quarter here. And I want to focus in on two teams in the West. And first, let's go ahead and talk about the slump that the Memphis Grizzlies are currently dealing with. Um, Bruce, we'll start with you with the, with the Grizz.
1: Well, they've lost six of their last seven and the cold streak began the night that Dylan Brooks and the Morant family got into it with Shannon Sharp in LA a couple weeks ago. They were 31 and 13 going into that game, which they lost by a point to the Lakers. And that began a five game losing streak. Two nights later, center Steven Adams was injured in the final seconds of a two point loss to Phoenix. And that injury was expected to keep him sidelined for three to five weeks. So he's out for at least another one to three weeks. And Adams is a huge, huge factor for the Grizz. They're one in four since he's been out. His paint presence on defense, the excellent screens that he sets for John Morant and Desmond Bain, plus his big rebounding numbers are all sorely missed. In the last five games that he's been out, the team is minus 4.4 in rebound differential they're still number 2 in the league in rebound differential for the season but that minus 4.4 differential would put them 29th in the NBA over the course of the season uh if that were the if that were their seasonal number so you can see the difference that Adams makes from being the number 2 in the league in rebound differential with him to number 29 in the league without him so uh again you know and 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 their defense has suffered in the five games without Adams they have allowed Five points more per game than their season average and allowed 50% field goal shooting versus 45% when he was in there. So uh, this they need this guy back as soon as possible. Will be. Yeah, I mean, I, I
2: think it's a case of Memphis, uh, their poor shooting is catching up with them now. They're just, we've mentioned before, they're a highly efficient team but they're not a good shooting team. They're bottom 10 in effective field goal percentage, and it's been that way for the last couple of years, so it's just a shocker. But it's starting to catch up with them. The fact that Adams is out, uh, like Bruce mentioned, does not help. This is a team, when they just shoot average 50% in effective field goal percentage or better, they're 28-4. and four. I mean, they dominate. They're so good at everything else. If they just shoot a little bit, they're going to win games most of the time. But when they don't, when they shoot under 50% in effective field goal percentage. They're just four and 15. So it's shooting is a real problem for them. It's starting to catch up with them. Now um, they're fourth quarter. They're having trouble in the fourth quarter, getting really beat up in the fourth. They're, they have the third worst net efficiency in the fourth quarter since January twenties, when this little slump began, um, you know, they're getting outscored by 17 points per hundred possessions in the fourth quarter. That's just, that's bad. <laughs> just, there's no yeah. way around it. And you know, just the other night, they got outscored at home by 16 to the Blazers. I mean, the Blazers are playing okay, but you, you're you're the Memphis. You're a contender for the for the title. You can't be pulling those things. And to Bruce's point about Adams and his defense has been tremendous. His impact, but when he's on the court, they're scoring 10 more points per hundred possessions when Adams is on the court than off. So he has a big impact. On offense as well, even though he's not a big scorer. To Bruce's point, the way he sets the picks, the way he grabs offensive rebounds, because there's plenty of misses going around when you (laughs) shoot the way they shoot, and it's a big. You know, he's a big deal in grabbing rebounds and putting it back and getting second chance opportunities. That's a big part of efficiency, and he's a big reason why they're so efficient on offense.
0: Yeah, and Will be, I'm glad you mentioned the shooting, and then also their fourth quarter struggles. At the end of February, they went through a five game losing streak. Of those five games, they lost three of those games by just a bucket, one to two points. Looking at their stats, right now, they're dead last in free throw percentage. They are 30th in the league at 71.5% from the free throw line. I mean, that that talks a ton about those fourth quarter struggles as well. I mean, this is a team that obviously competes in most games. If they're not you know, blowing away a team with their defense and, and John Morant having a great game, They're usually in games, but if you're going to be dead last in free throw shooting this year, I mean, that's going to come back to haunt you as it has with the numbers uh, with their fourth quarter success. So um, just wanted to add that point there uh, on Memphis. But um, the other the other team I wanted to focus on out west here is on the Dallas Mavericks. And uh, kind of just wanted to check your guys's pulse on whether or not you'd be hitting the panic button In Dallas right now with what's going on and Bruce we'll we'll go ahead and start with you on this one
1: well you know they started off really well 22 and 16 but they've lost 9 out of 14 and have slid into a tie for fifth in the west and we know that conference is so tight that they're only a game and a half in front of number 11 Portland now they're in the fifth spot they're only a game and a half of number 11 which puts them out of the play-in tournament uh Luca of course has been brilliant I mean, 33 points, almost nine rebounds, more than eight assists. And he's gotten a little bit of help on the offensive side of the court with Christian Wood and Spencer Dinwiddie, Tim Hardaway juniors, also scoring in double figures. But sometimes the numbers can lie a little bit. And here's one that I think lies. Their defensive numbers actually look a bit better than they should be because they're pretty good at controlling tempo and limiting the number of possessions. So you know, they're only allowing 112 points a game, which is not a high number when you compare it to, you know, it's probably in the top 10. OK, but opponents are shooting almost 48 percent against them, which is seventh worst in the league. Also, this team has big problems on the boards. They don't rebound. They're dead last in the NBA and rebound differential at minus five point four. And the next worst team is only a minus three point nine. So that's a huge gap They are at the bottom. Yeah. Way at the bottom, okay, yeah. and they're also dead last in assists at 22 a game, which means that other than Luca, they're a poor passing team as well. So, really, I'm not, I'm not sure I would push the panic button necessarily because to solve their rebounding problems and to solve their ball movement problems, I mean that's like a training camp thing. That's not like, yeah, we're gonna tweak that one mid season. That's the character of their team needs to change. So. Not hitting the panic button, but definitely hitting the we need Michael Freer to help their GM after this season to shore up some of these weaknesses.
2: Well, I sure am hitting the panic button with them because they're there are, uh, you know, they're falling out of contention as Bruce mentioned. Not just the playing term. I mean, you know, first six weeks or whatever, we thought, hey, this is a team that could compete for a title yeah. for the for the West title. Nobody's thinking that anymore. You know, even with Lucas Great, they're they're really slumping. They're what, eight out of twelve they've lost. And they have won two in a row since a seven game win streak just before the end of the year into January, early January. So they're just not getting the job done. They're 0 and six when Lucas sits for whatever 0 and three in January they went. So they absolutely need him. And their schedule coming up after tonight is absolutely brutal. They gotta play at Golden State at Utah, at the Clippers, they get two at the Kings, and they get Minnesota at home, who's suddenly on fire, yep. and they go to Denver. I mean, that's just if if you can't come away with victories now, how are you going to do it in, in, over the next two weeks? I don't see how this is going to work out for them. They absolutely need, they're getting some help for Luka, but not nearly as much as they need to really be considered a contender anymore and you know bruce's point they're the fourth worst ball movement team in the league to bruce's point about assist they don't they average they're fourth from the bottom and in, in passes per game so the ball does not move around them and if they can't help out luka with shooting with offense they don't move the ball around the schedule's looking tough Yeah, I'm hitting the panic button. If there's a button here, I'll hit it. There you go. Push the panic button. All
0: right.
2: Now, now to me,
0: the schedule means everything. I think, you know, as you mentioned, that upcoming uh, road trip, Golden State, Utah, uh, L.A. Clippers, and then two in Sacramento, they're going to be able to get in three of those games before the trade deadline. Now, tonight, uh, they're currently playing the Pelicans. Uh, at home and they're smashing them they're up 70 to 43 believe it or not kind of surprised by that score but kudos to the Mavs um, but if they lose those first two road games uh, to Golden State and Utah I think it really just ups the ante's and the urgency for this uh, front office to make a move and maybe make a more aggressive move than we might have originally thought I had mentioned on the last show of course you know dangling Dorian Finney-Smith as a guy to maybe pick up a piece elsewhere. He's definitely a, a very solid contributing wing player that can play a little bit 3-4 and uh, has a team-friendly contract, which is extreme value these days as well. But I, I look at that roster and I just don't know what outside of a guy like Finney Smith or like just a contributing role piece, like what they have to offer other teams outside of maybe future draft picks. But there's there's not much going on there as far as young developing players. Like Josh Green's not going to get you much on the market. Christian Wood's been passed around. I mean, it, there's nothing really there that really interests me if I'm in a, a different ball club and, you know, the phone rings and it's the Mavericks.
1: Yeah, and I mean, even someone like Tim Hardaway Jr., Nice player, making a ton of money. I yep. mean, you know, that's not going to be easy thank for you, a New York to
2: swallow. <laughs> yes, that's exactly. Thank you, Mr. Dolan. Yeah. <laughs> I I agree. I, I He needs help, Luca does. There's nobody on the roster, but there's nobody that they're going to get in the trade deadline that's yeah. going to help him, unless what you brought up earlier tonight, if the Raptors decide to really clean house with some of their key players, Those are the biggest names. I don't see big names at this deadline going somewhere. Not like last year when we had the big, you know, Harden and, and, uh, uh, you know, Ben Simmons deal and everything. Right. I don't see that happening this year. So any pieces coming Dallas's way is going to be minor and they're going to give up minor pieces to do it. So I don't know where the impact's going to be, uh, Gee, wouldn't Mr. Porzingis look nice and back in the Dallas uniform? All of a sudden, <laughs> yeah. he's healthy. Washington shirt seems to like it. Um, so I don't. That's why. That's another reason why the panic button's going down. And then Luca's going to at some point. Luca's going to start thinking about his future. And we, yeah. We, you know, obviously, Dallas can give him the most money when his time is is up and all this stuff. But
1: at what what price? You know, when it comes to good ball movement, Dallas could really use a guy like Jalen Brunson. Uh, oh, well, never mind. Yeah,
2: <laughs> but, uh, you know, you don't want to spend. You don't want to spend on him. He's he's only the you know, first uh, first or second alternate to the All Star game injury replacement. Questionable well, move there. Very
1: questionable.
0: Well put, Bruce. And uh, with that, we've reached our halftime buzzer. We've got a tight one in tonight's ball game. I have a feeling this one might go into overtime, but. Uh, we'll get back with you in the third quarter. And we're back for our third quarter and uh, got another interesting question to pose to you guys here. And it's uh, something that we debated off air and figured, hey, why not bring it to the show? And so that question is, Which is more important to an NBA team, having a great big man or a
1: great point guard? Bruce? Okay. In the history of basketball, going back to the early 50s, late 40s, when George Mikan and then Will Chamberlain and then Bill Russell and then Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, it was a big men's game. all right, And that continued well into the 1980s with David Robinson, Patrick Ewing, uh, Brad Doherty et cetera, et cetera, and Moses Malone, and even into the early 2000s with guys like Tim Duncan. But as the bigs started moving out of the low post on offense and taking more outside shots, I believe their importance started being emphasized less, and the position of point guard started gaining prominence as a result. You could see this in the NBA draft, and which position was taken with the number one overall pick. From 1979, when Magic Johnson was the number one overall pick, through 2007, when the infamous Greg Oden went number one, only two point guards went number one overall, while 16 centers were the number one pick. But since 2008, six point guards and just three centers have been the number one overall pick. So I think the advent of positionless basketball has placed a premium on the point guard position and the importance of orchestrating or running an offense and doing more than just dumping the ball down into the low post to the big dude. And this has been a major change in the sport. Now a premier point guard is arguably more important than a premier big, the exception being Nikola Jokic, who's probably the only point center in the league right now. Okay, His combination of big men skills and great passing have made him a two-time MVP and a possible three-time MVP.
2: What about you, World B.? Uh, I agree with Bruce. I think uh, the league has gotten smaller over the last uh, 20, 25 years. And I think the game is designed to be more perimeter oriented. And I think the premium is on a good point guard to distribute to uh, shooters outside, I think, and able to take it to the rack because it's, it's why you don't have to worry about getting hammered in the middle. Like 20 years ago, when you had, Shaq and uh, Patrick and David and Akeem and everybody, you know, in the middle. I think uh, if you look at it, in eight of the last 12 years, the, our champions ranked in the top 10 in percentage of their points coming from three-point range. Now, it's not actually, It's more perimeter-oriented, more guard-oriented. And if you go back over the last, say, 20 years, 19, 20 years, the only MVP – that's won an award mainly for their production on the inside. You would have to say would be Giannis, and yeah. even even uh, the Joker the last two years being a center, but he was more. We know him. His unique skills are outside in, not necessarily inside out. He has he can score in the paint, everything. but it's more his ability to hit the three at a remarkable rate, real eye opening, and that's one. Yeah. To either KG in 0-4 or Tim Duncan in 0-2 and 0-3 to find an MVP that was primarily in inside, you know, got the job. Uh, I think that's the way the league is trending, and I think I'm a big, um, a big guy uh, or a point guard. I would take
1: the point guard. Gotcha. You know, here's, here's an example tonight. Tyrese Halliburton returned to the lineup for Indiana. Okay. Uh, all-star Tyrese Halliburton. He was leading the NBA in assists for a vastly improved Pacers team before going down with an injury on January 11th in a loss against the Knicks. The Pacers would lose that game and then they'd go on to lose nine of their next 10. And they had won just one game during his absence before tonight, when they had actually uh, Thursday night, a one point loss to the Lakers, um, in a game where they led almost the entire game. Um, they're currently 10th in the East and they're sinking badly. So getting him back is going to help them. Buddy Healed, I think, really, you know, suffered in his absence. His scoring was down more than two points a game without Halliburton, finding him by getting in the paint and kicking it back out to him for these great open looks from three. Um, and in December, Heald shot 51.5% on threes. But in the games that Halliburton missed in January, his three-point percentage was 10 points lower than that at 41.5%. So uh, that's that's one example. Um, and again, uh, another example is a guy like Marcus Smart, okay? He's not the star of their team, right? He's probably the third or fourth guy on their team. Probably third, but some would argue fourth. He's not a classic point guard, but he runs the offense, and he also locks down other perimeter players. He leads the team in assists. He's got a three-to-one assist turnover ratio, and a lot of the looks that, that Tatum and Brown benefit from were from him. Uh, he some he gets steals. He doesn't gamble for them. And they their winning percentage when he plays is 73%. When he doesn't play, 64%. So, again, to me, uh, he's not a superstar on their team, but the position he plays is hugely important to them.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. And I echo both of your guys' thoughts. I think just with today's game, the pace and style of play, I'd have to go with a point guard with, of course, as you alluded to, Bruce, the joker being my one rare exception, as he can literally run your offense for you. Uh, But having a great point guard to organize, control tempo, restore order, and handle and take care of the basketball. And most importantly, as you mentioned, Bruce, with Buddy Heald's numbers uh, while Halliburton was out – you know, a point guard makes his teammates around him better. And that's just too vital to a basketball team, whether it be the college level, high school level, or even at the NBA. I don't care what kind of stars you have. You got to have a point guard. So um, maybe I'm a little radical here, but give me a five, man, like Thomas Bryant or Rashawn Holmes. If it means I can have a Steph Curry, Tyrese Halliburton or Ja Morant as my point guard.
1: Well said, coach. <laughs>
0: Appreciate that. And uh, with with that, we'll go ahead and head into our fourth quarter. And this is some questions from our listeners. It's mailbag time for listener submitted questions. And we'll start with one from Adam. Adam wants to know what's the best direction for the Bulls to go with Vucevic heading into free agency and DeMar DeRozan heading into his last year under contract. Who wants to take this one first?
2: I'll, I'll, uh, I'll jump on it here. I think, um, for me, the best option for the Bulls would be to uh, have an off-season overhaul. Uh, I think ha- finding, getting rid of uh, the big man in the middle would be obviously a, a benefit if the Bulls could actually find a taker for somebody with his salary and his age and his impending uh, free agency. So that's really not going to happen, you wouldn't think. Uh, but there's a sucker born every minute, so – Please, James Dolan, don't pick up the phone when they calling. Uh, but, you know, in other words, good luck finding any takers. Yeah, I mean, really, the, the likely option is just to have an overhaul. Does that mean DeRozan ends up a Laker next year in the offseason? Who, obviously, that would uh, benefit the Lakers, and they, I guess, would have assets to send uh, draft picks their way and stuff. But, you know, even the, the draft, the Bulls, the magic own the bulls uh draft pick first round pick this year uh top four protected so you know if it goes beyond four which if they it keep will. staying the way they are that's where it's going to be for, beyond the fourth pick then the, the magic get it so they're they're in a tough spot here cuz their young guys are not superstar young guys on the rise it's not like as i mentioned before in orlando they have a lot of young really good players That's not the case, I don't think, in in Chicago. And Lonzo Ball factor, who knows what you're going to get when he returns. So my thing thing is, overhaul, go with the young guys, and hope Lonzo comes back and maybe makes a difference that way.
1: I tend to agree with you, particularly in the case of uh, Nikola Vucevic. I mean, he's a big guy who puts up some numbers but he's never really had any impact on winning. None of the teams he's ever been on have been big winners. And that's one of the reasons that he's kind of a journeyman. Uh, nice player, okay. But if he's your fifth best player, maybe you might have a good team. If he's your third best player, you're probably the Chicago Bulls 22-23 version. Um, I do like IOda Dosunmu. I think he's a nice player. I would keep him around. Lonzo deserves... A chance. This is a lost year for him, obviously. Uh Patrick Williams, too early to give up on him. DeRozan, I I would keep DeRozan. I mean, look, he's an all-star, right? He might have some value, but he's you're not gonna get a lot for him because of his age. Um, and Zach Levine's kind of in his prime, but he's st- he still gets an incomplete for me, even though I thought he was borderline all-star this year. He's another guy that I think is a numbers guy. I mean, if, if you got him on your fantasy team, you love him. If he's playing for your actual team, you can see there's some definite holes in his act. Yeah. And I, I tend to
0: agree with world B. I, I would blow this team up. I think uh, as much as we talk about the go bear trade, I don't think enough is put on uh, this Vucevic trade. I mean, that one was just horrendous. We talk about that top four protected pick or top three protected pick this year that would go to Orlando Um, They gave up the draft rights to Franz Wagner, who's been a fantastic piece for Orlando. Wouldn't he be nice on the Chicago Bulls this year? Um, And then Wendell Carter Jr. I think he really kind of fits the style. The Bulls want to play much more than even a Vucevic that kind of uh, is a slower big. I think they could run a little bit more with Wendell. So if I had the chance and if I was a Bulls fan, I would definitely see if uh, you could call the Lakers and hopefully – GM LeBron picks up the phone and decides to get his buddy into DeRozan over there and doesn't care about the future and gives you uh, those two valuable first rounders. I, I'm in agreement with Bruce. I don't think you're going to get that type of value in return for DeRozan at his age, but it's worth a shot. And if any team is crazy enough to do it, it certainly would be the Lakers as they did with Russell Westbrook. So um, that would be my first
2: phone call is uh ring the LA Lakers. Yeah. You know, one, th- one more thing on this, the bulls, you know the reason they got uh Vucevic from um from Orlando they they were trying for a home run a contending thing they they saw what they had and they thought he was going to be as Bruce mentioned part of their big 3 when we come to realize he's really not a big 3 kind of guy so they swung for defenses and and missed badly as it turned out and or you know, credit to Orlando for making the deal and recouping you know the the pieces that they got from so this was Chicago trying to make a run at it Clearly, it's not working out. So now you got to start from basically from scratch, if you can. And, you know, to your point, maybe nobody wants to Rosen, who will be entering the final year of his deal you know, during the offseason.
1: A lot of people feel Arturish Karnishevis, who's their, you know, trade, you know, their GM president, is a very sharp guy and really does kind of understand the subtleties of things. So I would uh, I would guess that he's Probably if he were listening to this show, he might be nodding in agreement with a lot of what you're saying, world B and Ross.
0: Yeah. And uh, we want to go ahead and thank Adam for that question. And we'll get us right into our second one. This one's from Jacob and Jacob asked a great question here. Which teams do you think are one trade away from becoming contenders? So hoping there's at least one team that comes to mind from each of you.
1: Anybody who's in the top five, Teams is probably one trade okay. away from becoming I mean cuz you know it's funny there's so many teams this year that you could see winning it. I mean there's a lot of I mean more True. than 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 usual. So I can't really say. I mean look, you know, um, if Boston were to get a really good backup wing or a backup big that might put them over the top. I mean, Milwaukee they might be one player away, you know, if they could if they could, you know, grab somebody. Um, but I don't know that I can really single one team out. What about you, World B?
2: Oh, I can. <laughs> okay, let's hear uh, it. The Knicks. Well, I, <laughs> yeah, if that one player is a priest. I think the, the Bucs, these are teams that are contenders already. Like The Bucks are contenders right now. But if they really want to set themselves into serious title mode, they gotta get some offensive help. This is a team that's still in the bottom ten in offensive efficiency. As great as they are, as much as they have a superstar in Giannis, he's just not getting help. So that would be one one team that could use a trade for. an I know we mentioned Jay Crowder one day going there, and that obviously he would help. Anyway, but they need offensive help. Where that comes from, I don't know. But that's where that's what I think they need. I think the Memphis Grizzlies. We talked down before; they absolutely need perimeter shooting. Now, th- there's guys out there that don't have to be superstars that can help them out on the perimeter, but they seem to have everything else when healthy, except a good shooter or good shooters. So that would be another one. And I think the Kings, they need depth in the front court. Sabonis is, is a solid player; he's an All Star. We talked about him at length in this podcast, and rightfully so. But they're only they're an average team rebounding wise rebound percentage. They're just an average team, so they need some help there. There's enough guys that they can get for depth on the, on the front court for them, a backup center, whatever. But those are teams I thought about that need some help. Uh, that are just like one trade away from really doing damage. So as Bruce said it is wide open this year.
0: Yeah. No, I'm going to focus more on one of those uh, middle of the road playoff teams and. Ah, uh, for me, that's Sacramento. I know right now in the Western Conference they're standing up at uh, the third position, um, but I think just with that fan base, the excitement around the city right now, or that they're even in a playoff spot, if you're able to make one more big, sma- uh, you know, big splash before the trade deadline, bring in uh, a notable name that you know is familiar for most general NBA fans, uh, especially in the front court, as you mentioned, Bruce. I would, I would, I would definitely want to see the the kings try to move uh maybe even a guy like davion mitchell i know he's one of their young players but he's got some tremendous value uh, i think they'd be fine playing fox 35 36 minutes come playoff time and then of course you know have malik, malik monk and uh kevin herter have to play a little um point guard at times while fox gets a two to three minute rest but uh you know they're relying a, a ton on fox so you know if you could trade a young guy like davion mitchell which would be a surprise but you know they'd be able to get a su- surprise in, in, in return too i think that would be uh a, a good bet there to, to see if they can maybe get, do something there and uh you know a team that kind of makes sense is like a guy like uh you know gary trent with the toronto raptors his name has been uh, in talks around the league and you know maybe you trade davion mitchell to the uh Toronto Raptors to give uh, Fred Van Fleet some help in the back forward. And in return, you get Gary Trent and Malachi Flynn, something like that, uh, to try to, to, to make something work there. So uh, I'm hoping just kind of having been enjoying the Kings season this year, that, that they make some type of minor move to try to put an effort uh, forward in, in improving that team. Um, but I'm with you guys, too, as far as those top five teams in each respective conference. I mean, anybody that makes – even just a a, a minor move could certainly set them up uh, for big success come playoff time. So uh, Jacob, thanks for the question. Adam, I want to thank you again for the question and uh, keep sending them in, everybody. We love answering your questions and you guys pretty much uh, nail some really solid questions that that give us a lot of thought. So uh, really appreciate our listener engagement. And uh, with that, that leads me right into my best bets section of the show. And today I want to really focus in on Two rookies that are playing extremely well and deserve some consideration in your next same-game parlay. And, you know, as they say, you're only as good as your last game. So let's go ahead and start out with last night on Wednesday and take a look at these two rookies. Walker Kessler. All right. Walker Kessler against the Toronto Raptors. 17 points, 14 rebounds, 7 blocks, which was a career high. And Utah's home win over the Raptors last night. And that's now back-to-back double-doubles for the big man out of Auburn to go along with 12 total blocks in those two games. Right now, I'd consider Kessler for both rebounds and blocks. With, with the boards, I'd stick around 6-8 a game. And when it comes to the blocks, I think you're pretty safe right now uh, to go ahead and count them in for, for two swats. So keep an eye on Walker Kessler in the values there on the sports books, And not to be outdone, Houston, we have liftoff for Tari Eason. Tara Ishan notched his third consecutive double-double in Wednesday night's surprising win over the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, He had 20 points to go along with 13 rebounds, and he did so in less than 20 minutes of play. So he was Mr. Efficient out there. And of those 13 rebounds, uh, Bruce Worldby, I have a question for you. Of those 13 rebounds, do
1: you guys want to humor me with a guess at how many were offensive rebounds? I know he had a bunch because he had one sequence where he missed like four layups and kept getting the offensive. I don't know the actual number, but I'm guessing nine.
0: Close. He had 12. So 12 of his 13 rebounds were offensive. So while that ratio certainly won't hold up, Eason is destroying the offensive glass in his last three games. Uh, of double-digit rebounding efforts. And uh, half of them came on the offensive end in those double-double performances. So right now, a safe play for Easton is to score 10-plus points and count the young man in for 6-7 to rebounds. And those are the two rookies to keep an eye out on your next same-game parlay. And uh, with that, we'll get into our
1: final thoughts on the night. And uh, Bruce, we'll go ahead and start with you. Don't look now, but that object getting larger in your rearview mirror is... The Minnesota Timberwolves, <laughs> the team that was underperforming earlier in the season, is getting its act together at a very good time. They're 12 and 5 in January with wins over Denver, the Clippers, the Cavs, the Grizzlies, the Kings, and the Warriors. Okay. While most of their games in January were home games, they still have a bunch of quality wins. Uh, Anthony Edwards, the aforementioned All Star snub, uh, has played at an All Star level all season, really. Uh, averaging nearly 25, six boards, almost five assists. And Carl anthony Towns, he's been out since late November, and he won't be back anytime soon. As they updated today, they said he's out indefinitely still. But others have stepped up in his absence. D'Angelo Russell has quietly had a nice year for those guys. and Rudy Gobert lately has you know, started to up his game a little bit. And uh, Naz Reed, who I would love to see the Celtics acquire, is that backup big, but probably won't now, has seen his stock rise considerably. So this hot streak is probably going to end. they got a bunch of road games coming up. But right now it's great to see a team with young players start to mature with a lot of basketball left to play. So we'll see what happens with those guys moving forward. Will be Well, they haven't been
2: uh, considered contenders for most of the season because of their play and injuries or whatever. And we've talked about them at length, sometimes up, sometimes down. But it really appears as if the Los Angeles Clippers – are going to be coming a serious contender out West. Suddenly, they're in fourth place now in the West, and there's no reason to think they can't climb even higher considering the health of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard seems to be at uh, full strength here. And they don't have back-to-backs, which is where they usually sit these guys on the second end of back-to-backs. They don't have any in February. So the excuse to sit these guys is gone. And I mentioned before in other podcasts how Kawhi Leonard is getting healthy and the numbers are showing it. He's taking the ball to the rack. He's getting to the free throw line. He's scoring and he's hitting threes. So everything is shaping up for this Clippers team to make a serious run. And I love the Coach Lou. I'm a big fan of his. So they have the pieces. They're getting healthy. So I know the Nuggets have been the best in the West. But by the end of the year, don't be surprised if the Clippers start becoming everybody's favorite.
0: All right, and you heard it here first from Bruce. Keep an eye out on those Minnesota Timberwolves. And from World B, watch out for those L.A. Clippers. Now, my final thought is actually a fun show idea for a segment and a potential teaser for our listeners. Uh, You both know how much I love to keep you guys on your toes, and uh, you know I kind of want to be left on my toes as well. So I'm going to put a little twist on our game of – Word Association, and I'm going to buy a pack of basketball cards. Okay. And I'm going to open them live on air. And whatever player cards are pulled, you got to give me a little thought, memory, or stat on that player or team. So could be a lot of fun. And I'm also thinking that at the end of the show, once we pull those cards, um, we might have to come up with a little fun contest and whoever wins the contest uh, we'll go ahead and ship those cards out to them and thank them for listening. So thought it'd be a fun way to kind of keep us all on our toes and have a little fun with word association with the twist and uh, just want to know are you guys in for that?
1: Yeah, sure why not humiliate us yet again on <laughs> you know, in front of the world on the internet here you know? like you did like you did with name that university a few weeks ago. That was brutal, man. I, I still have emotional scars from that.
0: Well, the good news is I don't think we're going to be, uh, you know, directly pulling consistently, uh, Wananabe cards and, uh, <laughs> some of the names that I had listed on that list. So I think you're, you're safe there, but, uh, that should be a lot of fun and, um, certainly hoping to do that here in the next week or so so stay tuned for that guys and um, in the meantime that will do it for this edition of the 48 minutes podcast on believe thanks for tuning in and we'll be back with you on tuesday so to be sure you're all up to date in 48 make sure that you subscribe to this and be sure to spread the good word about the podcast and our beautiful t-shirt that bruce is showing us here live on YouTube as we speak. And uh, we hope you all have a fantastic weekend. Take care, everybody. So long, yeah.